Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. Today, we're very fortunate to be joined by Thyaga Nandagopal, who's the Division Director for the Innovation and Technology Ecosystems Division in the recently established Directorate of Technology, Innovation, and Partnerships at the National Science Foundation. He joined me to give us a view into the new TIP Directorate, as it's called, its priorities and programs, and some of the collaboration opportunities that might even be available to our listeners. So with no further ado, let's Let's go to the interview. Dr. Nagandabal, thank you very much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Okay, so uh, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about, you know, the directorate just to get us started. Um, you know, when was it stood up and, and what gap is it perceived to, to fill that wasn't filled by previous NSF directorates? And at the National Science Foundation set up the, this new directorate, the Directorate of Technology, Innovation and Partnerships, which we call the TIP directorate, uh, in March 2022, which is about, you know, seven months ago now, uh, roughly. And the mandate for setting this up, you know, came from uh, you know, multiple sources, but most notably the multiple uh, bills passed in Congress that specifically called on the United States and the National Science Foundation to increase its activities with respect to translating the outcomes of research that we fund in the labs into impactful activities that society can benefit from. So what we call as translation uh, or ideas to impact or lab to market. So there are many different terms that are used here, right? And that's in some sense our primary mission that we have been mandated to accomplish, right? NSF has always taken a lot of pride in seeing the results of its research investments come to the marketplace, right? The internet, the wireless that we all enjoy today, right? The smartphones that we use today have all been made possible because of NSF's foundational investments in R&D in a range of disciplines. And that investment translation, right, that has always happened, uh, you know, has happened organically. It's not because, you know, uh, there are some folks who are dedicated to pursuing this as their career goal, go out and do this, right? Um, and what, what we are trying to do now in this new directorate is to help change that a little bit and speed it up a little bit, right? So we want to uh, scale it and make it happen much more pervasively across a range of disciplines on a more structured basis so that we can see more and more of these lab outcomes that have the potential to impact our human lives in a significant, meaningful way happen much faster. Okay, that makes sense. Now, as a, speaking as a layperson, um, this is something that you know always happens to my view behind the scenes. So I, I don't know exactly, you know, what that might entail. You know, what what we're exposed to is, you know, lay people, members of the general public is typically, uh, you know, the lab work that we're aware of. We know about the publications, we read about them in the media. And then we also know about things when they come to market, but we never see what happens in between. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the programs um, within the directorate and, you know, kind of how they'll help uh, technologies and, and innovations make that leap into the marketplace or into our lives, as it were. Absolutely. I think, it, it, yeah, this is one of our, uh, uh, you know, major efforts that we are trying to now uh, spin up. Uh, I can talk about some of our existing programs that 
we have inherited into this effort. Uh, so one example is the Small Business Innovation Research Program, the SBIR program. Uh, many of your viewers may have heard this as SBIR, uh, STTR, uh, both dealing with small business support and small technology translation efforts. And this program, which is now actually a government-wide effort, uh, you know, many agencies have their own versions of SBIR programs, was started by the NSF in the late 70s, the mid, mid to late 70s. We started it and it became such a successful model of enabling translation that the rest of the federal government started picking it up. So, you know, if, if uh, anybody who has uh, an, a business idea, they set up a startup and they want to obtain initial support, they want to come to, uh, no, they can't come to NSF and apply to this SBIR program. NSF will give them money, which is non-dilutive capital. What does it mean? Non-dilutive capital means in exchange for giving money to support a startup, the government or NSF does not take any stake in that partner, in that venture. Right, the, the founder keeps the entire equity themselves, so they can continue to grow the startup, right, while keeping the equity for themselves, and then be in a much stronger position when they go out eventually to raise more funds because they would have matured the technology that they're trying to demonstrate. They have done market analysis, they have done validation uh, and you know and, and prototyping that they can use to raise a much bigger capital that they can use to later on scale up the business, hire more employees and so forth, right? Gain more markets and so on. Uh, but that is one program that has been highly successful um, and you know has been replicated across multiple federal agencies. And another example I would say uh, in this lab to market space is the so-called innovation core program, the I-Core program. This program started out in 2012, so we just completed 10 years. And what we do in this program is teach budding entrepreneurs, whether it's students, or faculty members to ask the critical questions about the idea that they think is viable, whether it's viable to become a company on its own, can they make a business out of this? We teach them market research, how to engage in asking the critical questions. Often people are blinded by the value of their own invention. They say, oh my God, the invention I have is so great. People should see the benefits of this without having to think hard about it. But it's not always the case. And they are challenged as part of this activity, this I-Core activity. It's a six-month activity. They have to go interview and talk to many, many potential customers and stakeholders to understand whether they, what they think is the market is really the market. And they, many of them actually realize that they have to pivot into something else. They, what they thought was you know, the use cases may not, may not be the ones, but they end up discovering something new along the way. We have trained hundreds of teams, like I said, probably thousands of teams now to go through this process. Many of them have become gone on to launch successful startups. And you know, some of them have been brought by, you know, bought by other bigger companies. Uh, and some of them have gone IPOs uh, and in, in very big successful ways. You know, the return on investment has been huge on this program. Uh, just to show you know, the kind of both training the entrepreneur, budding entrepreneur to how to think like an entrepreneur. And then once they do make, decide to make the jump and engage in the activity of starting a company, we provide them with the Small Business Innovation Research Program, the SBIR support, to take them through a stage, the initial stage, which is the hardest part for an entrepreneur where they don't have the resources or the money to actually get their footing, gain their footing, 
have a stable product that they can demonstrate and win customers and build a market and then scale it up through venture capitalists and other uh, financing, right? So we, we, we this is one way of supporting them. This is what we call like the translational part of uh, our activity. Uh, another set of programs that we are trying to do now is uh, something called convergence, right? Showing how to do convergent research. Um, so let's take, for example, um, uh, the blue economy, right? People talk about, you know, uh, oceans and rivers as this next big frontier, the, the, the untapped frontier in terms of economic uh, benefit uh, that we, uh, you know, we sit on, but we don't really uh, do well to synergistically uh, uh, utilize. Now, we brought together uh, a teams of biologists, computer data scientists, um, engineers, and material scientists together to look at the problem of how do we harvest, how do we utilize this uh, blue economy in a sustainable fashion? You know, we, we want to, you know, we don't want to make the mistakes of uh, overfishing or over farming and, and spoil the resource, but what kind of knowledge resources and uh, engineering tools and new materials do we need to bring to the table to have a sustainable fishing industry, to have a sustainable uh, aquaculture, for example, right? So we are bringing teams of scientists to solve this problem, right? And they are expected to work with the local industry in the area to make sure that the solutions they are coming up are actually practicable, practical and implementable, right? And when they are given three years to actually demonstrate a workable, a working solution, right? So we take the first nine months to have them form a team and coach them in how to get past their cultural mindsets, the barriers that they may have. An academic may think of a problem only a certain way, and the industry person may speak a slightly different language. You know, uh, again, even within academics, different disciplines may speak different languages. And you want them to actually get past those barriers that can prevent them from effectively communicating across each other, what we call as team science, right? We teach them how to coordinate and collaborate effectively, how to do market research, how to present themselves, how to go um, market the solution, pitch the solution to stakeholders effectively. And after putting them through the rigor of that training, we now tell, give them three years to go out there and develop a solution. That makes sense. And I think particularly for the, you know, the blue economy, I think we can understand that. Um, but what other areas are the convergence accelerators kind of looking at, you know, applying this sort of team science sort of principle? So the convergence accelerator has not just invested in this, what I call the network blue economy track, but there are also other tracks ranging from open knowledge networks, um, to AI and the future of work, to quantum technology. We have trust and authenticity in communication networks and building secure data communication networks, which is a collaboration that we have undertaken with the Department of Defense. So these are the uh, some of the range of projects that we are taking on. So that's a big set of uh, what you call as interdisciplinary research, teaching people how to do this. So with an eye towards translation uh, to practice. So that's something that we are engaging in right now. And not only that, so, so this is something that we are hoping to scale further, right? So we every year we announce new tracks and this is the kind of uh, activity that we want the community to stay tuned to and, and be ready for uh, to apply. Uh, because, you know, for example, you know, even now we have uh, food and nutrition security as one of the topics uh, that we are uh, looking at, uh, looking at proposals for. Uh, and we are also looking at um, uh, materials, novel materials, right? 
uh, we are uh, we have upcoming workshops, uh, ideation workshops that are being planned that involve you know chemical sensing, for example, you know um, again more artificial intelligence related topics. So there's a range of topics that we are always trying to spin up, and we would encourage the community to think about how to stay engaged and stay plugged in to this topic. Right now, building on all of these, so I talked about um, how we are teaching in this new directorate. Uh, researchers to engage in use-inspired translational research. How do we work across boundaries to do this? And then we teach them how to be entrepreneurs. And then we, once they know and decide to be an entrepreneur, we teach them how to you know, uh, launch a business and support them. What we are now really trying to pull together in one big umbrella effort uh, that encompasses all of this and more is this NSF Regional Innovation Engines Program called the NSF Engines. So this is our brand new effort. This is our flagship program. Uh, biggest awards that I think NSF has made that is not an infrastructure award, uh, $160 million over 10 years for each award, right? And this would go to a region uh, and a regional group of entities that will collaborate together to engage in the entire gamut of use-inspired R&D leading to innovation which leads to, you know, business creation and uh, and startups and the like, and intellectual property being generated, and these startups will then employ people who are in the region who are trained to, you know, to fulfill the jobs that these startups create. So it will encompass not just the values of use-inspired R&D and business creation, but also focus on our workforce development. Right. So we want them to kind of create, look at the virtuous cycle of businesses growing in the region, building on the innovations coming from the region, and then investing back into the region, into the same universities and R&D labs that help them succeed. So create this virtual cycle that will significantly amplify the economic growth of the region. So think of the Silicon Valleys and the Bostons and the Pittsburgh and the Austin, right? How they are today. So we want to recreate similar instances all across the country. Yeah, so you have places where you've got, you know, extant workforces, people who are, you know, willing and able to, you know, engage in this sort of high value labor. Um, but you have, but they have yet to become, you know, a hub of sorts for innovation and that kind of thing. And this sort of program is a way to light the spark there and, and get things moving. Exactly. So uh, the way I'd like to say this is, you know, there are pieces that are out there and there is no connections between them. So we like to be the catalyst that brings them together and activates them to start working together. That makes sense to me. Um, I was hoping to jump back to the convergence piece uh, for just a moment. You know, I, I, our audience is going to largely be, uh, you know, biologists or those who are interested in, in biology. And as you were speaking about some of the, um, you know, programs and initiatives, um, you know, bells rang in my head a few times about uh, things that, you know, we've covered and discussed uh, both on this podcast and in the pages of bioscience. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, what advice you would give to those who might be in some of those fields who had similar bells ringing in their minds um, if they were looking to get involved in these types of programs? Yeah, so number one, I think uh, stay engaged with our efforts by signing up to our mailing list. Right? So on our uh, website, we have uh, a link that on, the, on our sidebars that you know the people can sign up. It's a simple and easy way to stay plugged into all the opportunities that are coming up. And because we are a new directorate, I will want to emphasize that what you are seeing, what I've described so far is just our starting point. And this is what we started out with, and we have a lot more to offer, right? Congress, with the signing of the Chips and Science Act, has 
authorized. Again, authorized means they they have indicated a willingness to provide support for uh, a, a big chunk of uh, the efforts that uh, we would like to do, right? And that and we are hopeful that it will be followed up with appropriations, which is the actual budget uh, um, allocations for this directorate, right? And when those those funds come about, we have a slew of programs lined up that will benefit the entire scientific R&D community to pursue what I call as use-inspired, impactful research. Okay, and I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about you know use-inspired, impactful research and its potentially complementary role to um, basic research, because I know that there's always a little bit of fear among some in the science community um, that the role of basic research uh, will be kind of pushed to the side, uh, you know, by these sort of translational type of activities. Um, is that the case, or is this something that you know uh, needn't really be worried about? It's more of a complementary sort of thing. Right. So I think it's that's a great question, right? Often people ask this question, well, is TIP taking away money from foundational science? And and my idea is no, it's not, right? In fact, it acts in complement to the funding that's going on there. So it is, it is important to note that NSF, Congress in its Chips and Science Act uh, legislation has indicated that NSF as a whole should benefit greatly from this increase, right? And yes, we are receiving a bigger share of that increase mainly because we are new and we have a lot more programs to spin up uh, compared to established directorates that have you know big budgets and uh, ongoing programs. But Congress has essentially indicated a desire to have everybody see their budgets raised, both for foundational research and for the use-inspired and translational activities that TIP will support, right? So that's point number one, right? And again, the public statements that the uh, director of NSF has made also speak to that. They will essentially, you know, say the same thing that you know NSF sees both of these pieces as two sides of a coin, and one cannot, one shouldn't exist in isolation without the other, and cannot, you know, ideally, right? The what I would also like to say is, if you are a scientist who is used to publishing papers, there comes a point. And I used to be a scientist myself, right? And there's always a point in your life where you say, is this all there is to it? Is life just about graduating paper to students, teaching classes and you know writing paper or papers? Right, so at some point you want to say, I want to have many of them have come told us that they really, especially those who have gone through I-Core, actually come back and said, I wish I had done this training when I started my my career as a faculty member, because I I can imagine myself having done much more impactful stuff that I can claim or I can see in practice today than what I have done so far in my life. Right? I I want everyone to we are not you know we are not asking everyone to change their mindset that oh yeah you shouldn't be doing use foundational research right everybody should be doing this and that right we are saying that give translational research and use-inspired research a chance. Don't think that foundational research is the is the only goal of doing R&D, right? At some point, the taxpayers who are underwriting the, uh, this research funding, they want to see the benefits flow through them. Right? Modern life is essentially uh, a result of those benefits eventually making its way to the public. And I think we can do a much better job of it if everybody just took a few minutes as they think about the research and say, in what way can I make this research useful to society? 
and that's all we're asking just take a pause have the thought and maybe it's not the faculty member themselves who are having the idea or the inspiration or the motivation to do that maybe they can motivate the student to pursue this after all you, you train a phd student but not every phd student actually becomes a faculty member a vast very a very small minority of phd's actually become faculty members vast majority of them go into industry do other things right and yet most of our phd training is about how to become a faculty member and what we are saying here is we are here tip as tip the new directorate to help demonstrate that there are other ways to train people in use inspired r&d and perhaps that training can inspire more people to pursue me uh, what they call as impactful with you no know, ways to deliver the science outcomes to society at large no that makes quite a bit of sense and i think it speaks well to the you know drive that seems to you know uh, be a force in many scientists careers that they want to change the world they want to um, you know have an impact as it were um, and you know this seems like a, a potential set of pathways for them to actually do that absolutely and again you know if we are successful in training generation of students right let's say if half of the students who graduate today understand what it means to start a company or they can see a way for the research to be benefiting of to society and they can see that pathway as they are doing their phd and and then some of them decide to pursue that pathway upon graduation we would be an unqualified success right we know will be a huge success our mission would have been accomplished Right. Well, that's that sounds like a very exciting prospect. And I think it gives our listeners quite a lot to think about. And I would just like to thank you very much for joining me today. I, I think we've got a lot for them to chew on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, I would encourage all of your, your listeners to tune in, stay connected to us by signing up to our website, to a mailing list and, you know, watch our space, you know, and we are happy to come and talk to your community, uh, to community meetings. Uh, and we are happy to engage uh, in any way that you feel is helpful to spread this word that you know we all have to do a little bit from our side to bring our labs you know to the marketplace that sounds excellent thank you again appreciate it thank you And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. Thank you, and talk to you next time.